love your pastors, Pastor Conway and Jada are two of the finest. Like seriously, they are just, you are blessed of God to be planted in this house under, under their leadership. And so we're going to go into Luke chapter 17, which is a text about the coming of the kingdom. And basically this text is about to demonstrate the twofold nature of the kingdom of God, the already, the realized nature of the kingdom of God, and the not yet, the what is going to come in the future. So don't freak out if you're not kind of totally understanding everything that's going on. But let's dive in. It says in verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. For no one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's Jesus is already there. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. That interpretation could be, don't go down rabbit trails on Facebook. But anyway, for as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. As much as we don't know when that day will be, let me just say, when people say, do you think people will know when Jesus has returned? I'm just saying, when the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, nobody will be left wondering. That's all I'm saying. But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on that day, on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. I bet you're all feeling so encouraged you came to church this morning. You're like, where is this going? We've got floods and fire and sulfur. And Christine, we've just come out of a, a pandemic. And then we've got, you know, floods and natural disasters. And we've got plagues. I mean, did you notice like after like 2020, 2021, it was like, you know, there was a plague, there was famines. I'm like, what is next? Are we in the book of Exodus? But anyway, so it will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down and get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. I tell my husband, I will not be left behind. I will not be left behind. <laughs> Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Here we are, Sunday morning in August. And I know that you are so glad that Pastor Conway and Jada said, Christine, please come and teach on <laughs> this morning. You know, this text and looking in the context of what you and I are living in today. You're looking at this text and it's talking obviously about the end days. And there is so much discourse happening and has been over the last few years, especially, especially post-pandemic and with all of the political instability and the social instability and the environmental instability and the economic instability and all of the condition of the world around us. Often we're waking up going, what next? 
What next? I don't even know what to expect. How much more could the earth take? Just when we think we've heard it all, that there's a new thing coming out. And you're like, what is going on? And so you look at texts like these and think like, are we there? I, mean, I remember when I first came to faith, it was in you know, the late 1980s. I know most of you were not born then, but I was alive with the dinosaurs. And so in the late 1980s, and I mean, everyone was talking about the end then, and then they had charts out. And do you all remember that? I don't know if it was in America or just in Australia, but they would draw up charts and they would talk about who was, you know, and and everyone would get really, really uh, kind of complicated about who was the Antichrist and what was the one word and what was... Listen, this is my entire theory, my entire eschatology. I really don't know. When is it going to happen? I don't know. Is it going to happen? Yes. So how do I live? Like it's going to happen tomorrow and prepare like it's going to happen in the generations to come. That's all I understand about all of this. And if anyone tells you that they know, they don't. That's what the Bible says. No one knows. But that's really not what I'm here to preach about today. I'm reading this text in the midst of everything that's going on in all of the world. And I'm thinking like, you know, the world has lost its mind. I don't know. Perhaps right here in kind of Plano, everyone's still sane. But in the rest of the planet, um, people, have you noticed that people have gone cray cray all over the world? People have lost their minds. And so I'm looking around and Jesus is talking about the flood and fire and sulfur coming and Sodom and Gomorrah. And when I look at what's happening in the world and the immorality in the world, I'm like, are we living right here, right now? This is all going cray cray. In the middle of it all, Jesus drops three little words. And it's the three little words that I've come here to speak about this morning. In the midst of this discourse about the end times, Jesus just throws in the second shortest verse in the Bible. So what is the shortest verse in the Bible? You are such a well-taught church. Unbelievable. Pastor Conway would be very thrilled. That's right. Jesus wept. Two words. The second shortest verse in the Bible, three words, is right here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 32, when Jesus, in the midst of talking about the end times, drops in, remember Lot's wife. You're like, wow. Okay. Remember Lot's wife. In the midst of this discourse, About the end times, Jesus tells us to remember this one woman, Lot's wife. Do you realize there's 170 women, roughly, mentioned in some way in the scripture. But there's only one woman that Jesus Christ tells us to remember. Only one. One woman. Now, look, I've been doing chicks ministry for a lot of years. And I've spoken on a lot of women. But then I was very convicted when I read this text because I thought I haven't spoken on the one woman, the only woman that Jesus told me to remember. And I am just wondering in the midst of this discourse about the end times, when Jesus says, remember Lot's wife, and I'm looking at the world in 2022, and I'm looking at what's happened over the last few years, and I'm like, I wonder whether this would be a time for the church to do what Jesus told us to do and to remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Now, why would Jesus tell us to remember her? I mean, if I was Eve, I would be a little bit offended. I'm like, what do you mean remember Lot's wife? I was first. Not only I was first, I've been blamed for all of the problems of humanity for all this time. (laughs) I mean, if if I was Sarah, I would feel a little bit offended. I'm like, what do you mean remember Lot's wife? I had a baby at 90 without an epidural. I'm like, seriously? 
Or maybe Miriam, the first sort of female worship leader. I mean, she was coming out of Egypt, coming to go into the promised land. And I mean, this chick is amazing because before she comes out to go in, she stops and grabs like a tambourine. I'm thinking, who would be coming out of Egypt and says, hang on a minute, I'm grabbing a tambourine. We're having a dance party on the other side. But you know, I'm just like, she's a worshiper. Oh, we could go through Esther. Why not remember Esther? I mean, she could say, I, I, I stopped a Jewish genocide. What do you mean remember Lot's wife? Why not remember Deborah? I mean, I would be the first female judge. I'd be like, I, Deborah, arose. Lot's wife didn't arise. I arose. I mean, we could go through the list, the list. I mean, of course, he didn't even say to remember his mother. I wonder if he's in trouble. But he didn't even say remember his mother. He said, remember Lot's wife. And he said that to all of us. This is not a women's ministry message. Jesus said to all of us in the midst of a discourse about the end times, remember Lot's wife, all of us. So that led me to go, okay, what is it that I know about Lot's wife? I mean, this woman has the shortest biography in all of history. What's her biography? Lot's wife. I'm like, could you give me a bit more details? I don't know. I don't know where Lot met her. I don't know whether he married her in Sodom and Gomorrah or whether he, he married her before he went. I don't know. But all we know about her is one thing. We go to Genesis chapter 19, which is a very disturbing chapter of Scripture on many levels. And the angel, the Lord said, I, I'm done with Sodom and Gomorrah. The iniquity, and you know, it's interesting when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, the thing that we most often remember about why the Lord was done is obviously it was a city that was drowning in sexual immorality and iniquity. There's no doubt about it. Very similar to the world I'm sure that we live in today. But I do want to point out one other thing because that wasn't the only reason that the Lord was done. And there's an interesting scripture in Ezekiel chapter 16, 49. I'm going to read it to you because this is what the scripture says. It says, now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and the needy. This was the sin of Sodom. And I wonder, as followers of Jesus, whether we truly have Jesus' priority as our first priority because the Lord was done because she and her daughters had pride, plenty of food and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and the needy. And then in verse 50, it says, they were haughty and did detestable acts before me. So I removed them. So you can see to the Lord, pride, comfortable security, ease, indifference to the marginalized and the poor and the needy and sexual immorality are all things that actually matter to the Lord. And because of this, he's like, I'm done. And Sodom and Gomorrah are going to burn up. Sends two angels to come and rescue Lot and his family, Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And so can you imagine that a city is burning the angel of the Lord comes and literally takes you by the hand. I mean, I mean, Lot's wife was touched by an angel in the real sense of the word. And miraculously leads you out because 
Lot and his family, his wife and his two daughters, the promise was in the future. Their purpose was in the future. God was delivering them from something that was burning to take them into their promise and their purpose. And in the midst of this divine miracle, an angel of the Lord coming, taking them out in the midst of that Lot's wife. This is all we know about her. She does the one thing that she was told not to do. The angel of the Lord said, just don't look back. And I'm telling you, if God miraculously turned up and saved me while everything else is burning, I would probably do the one thing that he said, do this and don't do that. But scripture tells us in right there in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26, it says, she did the one thing, but Lot's wife behind him looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, says, remember Lot's wife. The only thing we have to remember about Lot's wife is that she looked back when she was supposed to be looking forward. That she looked back to what she was leaving with more longing than looking forward to the promise and the purpose that God had ahead of her. And the fact of the matter is we are living in a time on the earth where so many of us, our language, our thoughts are all back pre-pandemic. Our language is where you hear it in everyday language. I've just come from countries all around the world. It doesn't matter where I go, whether we're talking about church attendance or whether we're talking about businesses or whether we're talking about relationships. People are saying, well, pre-pandemic or before 2016 or before this or before that. And I'm like, listen, we're in 2022. And Jesus is with us in 2022. And many of us are looking back with longing at the very thing that Jesus has burned up and said, my promise is in the future. My purpose is in the future. She looked back and in that context, she looked back with longing. Well, of course, her friends, her relationships were back there. Her possessions, everything she'd worked for. I mean, I don't know, she might have renovated her kitchen. I don't know. She was looking back. And some of us, we're looking back with longing at what it was before 2016 or 17 or 18 or 19 or 20 or 21. He says, don't look back. And she turned into a pillar of salt. The one thing we know about Lot's wife is that she got stuck in a place she was meant to only be passing through. She became calcified and became a pillar of salt. And some of us are on the threshold of becoming that ourselves. Of getting stuck in a place that we were only meant to be passing through. Yes, things are burnt down. Yes, things are different. Yes, the world has changed. But we were never meant to get calcified and stuck and turn into a pillar of salt. We are the salt of the earth. We're meant to be salting a world in the future. We're meant to be moving forward and not becoming stuck. I wonder whether anyone's become stuck. In the last season, stuck in disappointment, stuck in disillusionment, stuck in offense, stuck in bitterness, stuck in hurt, stuck in grief, stuck in loss, stuck in unforgiveness. 
we have so many people in the body stuck, looking back, fixated with what was back there. When Jesus says, would you just fix your eyes upon me? I am the author and I am the finisher and I haven't finished what I started in your life yet. So you've got to fix your eyes forward on Jesus. And if we, the church, don't do that, what hope has the world got? If our language, if our longing, if our lingering is the same as the world's, where are we going to be leading anyone? You see, it's so interesting to me that many of us are like Lot's wife. We want what we left more than what Jesus has for us. She wanted what she was leaving more than what it was that God had for her in her future. He was miraculously rescuing her. Look, at the end of the day, guys, we are here in 2022. There's a lot of people that didn't make it, but God delivered us. God saved us. God brought us through. And we've got to not long for what was more than what God has for us. Looking back consistently got her stuck. And looking back over regret and shame and guilt and unrealized dreams and hopes and expectations. That there comes a time, I understand, I am not at all diminishing the pain or the loss or the grief of the last few years. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not pretending it didn't happen. But if seven years later or three years later, we're still stuck in that same place then we are on the verge of getting calcified. And there is so much more ahead for us. And if you are thinking that I'm here deliberately this morning to get us unstuck, you are absolutely right. It's time to get moving and step up and into the future and the promise and the purpose that God has for us. Some of us in our hearts have got to get unstuck. Some of us in our lives have got to get unstuck. Some of us relationally have got to move on. Move on. How long are we going to keep repeating the same old narrative? Going around the same old mountains, the same old obstacles, the same old hurdles. At some point, we've got to move on. We're at a pivotal time in history. Our world is different and it's never going back. It's never going back. And yet I believe God wants the people of God to thrive and to flourish in the midst of adversity in the midst of challenge. I don't know that anything's going to necessarily externally get any better, but we are the people of God. We have, been, uh, we have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of us. Therefore, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. There ought to be something different about us. If we're posting what everyone else is posting, there's a problem. If we're saying what everyone else is saying, there's a problem. If we're full of the same fear and doubt and negativity and unbelief as everybody else, there is a problem. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us. There ought to be something different. There ought to be a hope in us that is absent from the world. But if our conversations are as hopeless as the world, if our posts are as hopeless as the world, if our thoughts are as hopeless as the world, well, what are we doing here? Because our hope is set in eternity. You see, you and I 
there ought to be something different about it. Yes, we're going through exactly the same trials and tribulations as the rest of the world. You know, I would love to tell you that, you know, during the pandemic, Elon Musk sent me a space rocket and zapped me up and I didn't experience it. But we've all had to experience the same thing. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to take you out of this world. He said, in this world, you will. You will have troubles. It's like, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm like, okay. I mean, Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trials. I mean, watching some people lose their mind on social media, I'm like, do you read your Bible? Why are you so surprised? Like, seriously? I mean, James is like, consider it pure joy. I'm like, James, you consider it joy. But anyway, it's like, you know. But I don't know what planet you all thought we would be inhabiting. But Jesus, Peter, James, the scripture has told us this is the kind of world that we're in. There, there's no utopia down here. But we have been filled with the spirit of almighty God. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Do you know how much it would shock the world if we lived like we believed it? They might actually even believe in Jesus. But when we're losing our minds at the rate that the world's losing their mind, why on earth would they be attracted to a God that transcends this temporal world? See, we have to be a people that know what it is to set our minds on things above. Because your mindset during this season is going to determine where you end up. And this isn't just about us. This is about the generations that are to come after us. How we contend with this season is going to affect our children and our children's children. So there needs to be a mindset about us that is different. Because we have a world at which in this moment the enemy is fighting for the generations. I mean, I cannot believe I'm 56 years old next month. Please send presents. I'm 56. <laughs> and I've seen a lot in my 56 years. But what I've watched the enemy do the last four or five years has happened so quickly. I'm like, you're going after a whole generation and messing with their minds and messing with their identity. And so only we, the people of God, can help people understand that they're created in the image of Almighty God and filled with God-given destiny and filled with God-given purpose. So we're contending for a generation. If we lose hope, if we lose hope in this moment, what hope do the generations have? You know, when you lose hope, you tend to go back. <laughs> Lot's wife wanted to go back. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus had been crucified, buried, and had risen from the dead, but the disciples didn't know he had risen yet. And those two disciples, the scripture says they were so disappointed because they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They hoped he was the one. And they didn't know he had risen from the dead, so they were going back to Emmaus. They were going back to the place that they had come from because what happens is when you lose your hope or you're disappointed that God didn't come through in the way that you thought he should have come through, you'll tend to go back to where you come from. You'll, you'll tend to go back to the very thing that he set you free from. You'll go back. So they were going back and Jesus turned up. And you know in that chapter in Luke 24, they didn't even recognize Jesus. 
God incarnate, the resurrected Savior is walking with him. And yet they did not even recognize that Jesus was with them because they were so overwhelmed by disappointment. And some of us have been so overwhelmed by disappointment in the last few years, we have not even recognized that Jesus is with us. For his word says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He never went anywhere. And some of us put more faith in an invisible virus than we did in an invisible God. If we had as much confidence that God was with us as much as a virus was with us, perhaps we would have navigated some things. But it is interesting to me that they did not even see him. And in Luke 24, 21, it says, they said to Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They're saying this to Jesus. He's right there. But we had hoped he was the one. It's so interesting when disappointment or discouragement or disillusionment overwhelms you. How Jesus can be right there with you and you miss the miracle that he got you through because you'd hoped that that business wouldn't fail. You'd hoped that that marriage was going to make it. You'd hoped that those kids were not going to go astray. You would hope that dream was going to come true. You had hoped. And because you've been overwhelmed by disappointed hopes, you've missed the fact that the source of hope himself has never left you. Hebrews 6.19 says Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. And our anchor is more secure than any anchor in an ocean because our anchor goes behind the veil into eternity. So, yes, there have been economic challenges. Yes, there have been sociological challenges. Yes, there have been moral challenges. Yes, there have been political challenges. Yes, there have been environmental challenges. Yes, there's been medical challenges. But our hope transcends all of that. Our hope transcends all of that. His name is Jesus, and he has never left us. And he has never forsaken us. So I wonder if we're still stuck in disappointment whether what truly has been revealed in this season is that some of us have had some misplaced hopes. Because if Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul and it's firm and secure and he's gone nowhere, I wonder whether we, whether we misplaced our hope. When I look at how many people are walking away and everyone's been, I mean, we are so deconstructed, I don't even know what construction's left. And people are walking away. Why? Because Jesus didn't come through in the way that I thought he should have. I know people may have disappointed you, but did Jesus? But it is amazing. Because that person disappointed me, I'm walking away from God. Because I didn't get that job, I'm walking away from God. Because that promise didn't happen, I'm walking away from God. Because I don't understand something, I'm walking away from God. I'm like, where was your hope? Because if it was in Jesus, he hasn't gone anywhere. So the interesting thing is, I wonder whether what's been revealed, if we're still stuck in disappointment and stuck in discouragement and stuck in disillusionment and stuck in offense and stuck in bitterness and stuck in unforgiveness and stuck in hurt, did we maybe have misplaced hopes? Perhaps what has been happening, people talk about this as an apocalyptic time. It is an apocalyptic time in what that really means. It's been a time of unveiling. And I think a lot of what has been unveiled is a revelation of what idols we had in our lives. 
And perhaps our trust and our hope was in something other than Jesus. Because he's like, I haven't gone anywhere. (laughs) I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still here. And so at some point, perhaps we need to realign our hope and put it back in the only one. The only one that is ultimately our source of hope and the only way moving forward that we're going to be able to navigate the cray-cray of this world. Where people look at us and, like Abraham, against all hope, in hope we believe. And people are like, what are you smoking? You're like, nothing? Don't you know all the problems in the world? Yes. I'm not denying them. They're very painful. But my ultimate hope was never in that anyway. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's like, do not throw away the confession of your hope. Keep that confession without wavering. This would be the time to not waver. Where the world is hopeless, that we are not wavering in our confession of hope. Because our hope is not in stuff and our hope is not in people and our hope is not in institutions and our hope is not in systems and our hope is not in things. Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. I remember when the pandemic first started, like everybody else, you know, we've got um, 19 offices in 16 countries around the world for A21 and so we would have to meet on Zoom Um, like everyone, and I I would call it the upper Zoom room. And I still call it that. I'm figuring if we can have an upper room in the Book of Acts, we can have an upper Zoom in 2022. And we would meet in the upper Zoom, and of course, countries from all over the world in severe lockdown, you know, in places like Bulgaria and Greece, you could not leave your apartment um, without texting the police once a week so that you could go for your designated hour to the supermarket and come down. I know here in Texas, you all don't really know what a lockdown was, but the rest of the world. (laughs) But I'm from California. So the rest of us had a lockdown and a pandemic, just in case. You in Florida, you have no idea. But anyway, the rest of the planet. And so we would, you know, we were prisoners of sorts. And I would say to the team, at this moment, we are prisoners. We can't change that. And although we can't dictate the fact that we're all in lockdown at this moment and that we're prisoners, metaphorically speaking, of sorts, we can choose the kind of prisoners we're going to be. And we are not going to be prisoners of despair or prisoners of fear or prisoners of doubt or prisoners of negativity. We are going to be the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 verse 12 of the book of Zechariah said to the children of Israel, they had been in 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They'd returned to Jerusalem and the temple was decimated. The city walls had fallen down. They were surrounded by enemies. He said, you were prisoners of Babylon. Now you've got to be prisoners of hope. And you and I are in a world where so much has been decimated, so we feel like often we're surrounded by enemies, that the walls have fallen down, that so many things have changed. But you and I, in the midst of all of that, we don't have to lose hope. We make a decision. I am going to be a prisoner of hope. I don't care if the world around me is losing its mind. I am going to be a prisoner of hope in this hour. And I think it's the most effective evangelistic tool we could have in this moment. That you and I are full of hope when everyone's hopeless. 
are full of joy when the world has lost its joy? And people are like, what do you got to be happy about? Oh, my joy is in Jesus. And that joy of the Lord is my strength. And when I see people losing their minds, I'm like, oh, you've lost your strength because your joy was going to be in that job or that promotion or that business taking off or that relationship. or And because that went, your joy went. And yet we're a people of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. No wonder the scripture says that you and I are a peculiar people. And people are like, what are you joyful about? Well, Jesus, I'm not denying the pain and the suffering and the grief and the loss. But I'm not going to get stuck in it. I'm not going to get stuck in it and turn into a pillar of salt. I'm not going to have my confession be, well, if we could just go back. You hear that in so many, many conversations, man. If we could just get, life could just go back pre-pandemic. I'm like, who wants to go back there? I, I would rather be where Jesus is. I would rather be going from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. There's been a lot of loss. I feel like so many of you, I wasn't exempt from this, relational fractures, betrayals that I wish didn't happen, loss, my mom and my husband, my brother's wife and my husband's sister and my husband's brother-in-law and just like everybody else, back and forth, so many funerals. Loss and disease and suffering, but I refuse to get stuck there. Yes, there is a time to mourn and a time to grieve and a time to deal with things, but I'm not getting stuck. Yes, I come from a background where I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted and didn't even find out I was adopted until I was 33. Yes, I was sexually abused for 12 years and there was a lot to work through and there was a lot of trauma and there's been a lot of pain, but I'm not getting stuck in it. My history is not defining my destiny. I'm not getting stuck in those moments. I'm not getting stuck in bitterness. I'm not getting stuck in unforgiveness. I'm not getting stuck in shame. I'm not getting stuck in guilt. I'm not getting stuck in hurt. Jesus Christ died on a cross. My shame is nailed to that cross. My bitterness is nailed to that cross. Offenses are nailed to that cross. I am not going to get stuck in a place that I'm supposed to be passing through. I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul who says this one thing I do, forgetting those things that lie behind. I'm pressing on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. And it is time for the church to start pressing. It's time for the press. That word press is to exert a steady force against. Some of us, man, our muscles are out of training. Our muscles are out of training. Been three years of going to work in bed on Zoom. Oh, my camera's not working. (laughs) And we brought that into our spiritual life. Except God's like, "Uh, I can see behind the camera. (laughs) And I know that you haven't put hard pants on for three years. You're just wearing your sweats. So it's time to get out of our sweats. It's time to get out of our beds. 
And it's time to get up and get those muscles working again so that we can press on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of us. We've got to press on. So what do we have to do? There's some things you've got to let go of if you're going to lay a hold of. We want to lay a hold without letting go. Some relational things, some heart attitudes, some mindsets. We've got to let go of the if onlys. If only the pandemic didn't happen. If only that person didn't leave. Man, if only I had a different past. If only I didn't make that mistake. If only, if only. Man, we've got to let go of the if onlys. You've got to make what Jesus did for you bigger than what they did to you. You really do. I'm asking you this morning, church, would you prioritize your future over your past? Would you be willing to let go of some things, to lay a hold of the promise? Lot's wife wasn't willing to let go. She had the angel of the Lord holding her hand, and she let go to look back. I wonder whether we would hold on to Jesus and not look back so that we could keep moving forward and stepping into the promise and the purpose of God. Yes, it's been hard. Yes, it's been painful. Yes, it's been confusing. And I, there's no promise I can make you about the condition of the world. But would you make what you do know about the character of God bigger than what you don't know about the future? And if we know that our God is good and our God does good and our God works all things together for our good and for his glory, then we can trust him in this hour. And we can trust that whatever he's taking us to is going to be for our good and for his glory. Let me just end with this scripture. You know, it's from the book of Exodus chapter 14 verse 15. I'm going to say it in the New Living Translation because I just feel that this is what the Lord wants us to hear loud and clear in the church at this moment. You might remember, you know, when Israel was leaving Egypt and it was under the leadership of Moses, they looked back at Pharaoh coming back to destroy them. Remember, there was, they were at the Red Sea, they felt trapped, and they looked back. And they should never have looked back because then they suddenly saw the enemies and they heard the chariots. And when you're looking back or scrolling at things you shouldn't be, you're going to be seeing and hearing things that are going to paralyze and cripple you. And that's what happened to them. They were paralyzed and they were crippled in that moment. So many of you are paralyzed and crippled because you're giving ear to the enemy. And you're seeing things that you shouldn't be seeing instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus. And so they were paralyzed. And, you know, they started murmuring, grumbling and complaining. And so Moses couldn't bear it, of course. So he goes to God. And he's murmuring to God because the people are murmuring to him. And he's like, really? Couldn't you have done better? This is what you gave me to lead. And I love what the Lord said because I feel, of course, just as a metaphor, I feel this is what the Lord is telling us in this moment. It says, so after Moses was complaining to the Lord, it says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. And I've come to church this morning, church to say, I know it's been a tough Six or seven years, there's no doubt about it, but it's time for us to remember Lot's wife and to get moving. Stop looking back, 
fix our eyes on Jesus, press on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of us. The best is yet to come in Jesus' name. God bless you, church.